Thanks so much, guys. You guys have a seat. Um, all right, so adults are going to come around. They're going to hand you a piece of paper. Take it. If we could have some lights. Thank you. So as they're doing that, um, before we get started, I want to tell you a couple of things that I'm excited about. Uh, there's lots of new faces on our stage, which is cool. Um, so, Ellie, was today your first day? Was your, today your first day on stage? Have you, have you, played, on, have you played before? Yeah. Once? So this is number two? All right. Cool. And then Austin was somewhere. Where's Austin? Is that your first day? He played one, you played once before too? All right, whatever. That's what I'm talking about. Whatever. Y'all did fantastic. Um, also, I like records. I like breaking them because I'm awesome. But um, anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is the most you've had... This is most students we've had in Senior High Greenhouse this year, so you win. Um, so good job. Yeah. So you beat last week by one. <laughs> so good job. <laughs> uh, so if you, everybody should have a sheet. You have, just raise your hand if you do not have a piece of paper. Cool. All right. Everybody's got one. Um, so if you have your Bible, go back to Acts chapter 2 again because I like it. We're going to keep hitting it because it's great. So Acts chapter 2 again, get your Bible out. We didn't do Bibles this week. There should be up there, but they're not. So get a phone or stare at somebody else's phone or whatever makes you happy. I don't care. Um, put your sheet down for just a second. You're not going to need it for just a little bit, and then we'll come back to it. Um, so the first week of Senior High Greenhouse, we talked about Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, and we, we talked about how that was our ideal, that that's who we wanted to be as a student ministry, that we wanted to exemplify everything found in those five verses, Right? And then last week, we kind of zoomed in on, on what their corporate worship was like and, and the way that they gathered together with this huge energy behind it um, of seeing God move throughout the week. And they come together, and then like, they just get to celebrate honestly and openly what God was doing. We looked at the lepers and, and the way that they came back and said, thank you, and, and we, that's what we're doing. So we're still basing out of that. And this week, we're going to do kind of the same thing. So in Acts chapter 2, 42... I just want to read it to you again because I don't think you got it memorized yet. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came among every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Remember the first week of Senior at Greenhouse, we, we just kind of imagined together what it would be like to hang out with people like that? Do you remember that? We just, I, just, I just asked you to imagine what it would be like to, to be with a group of people where God was moving powerfully. And they were, they were excited about their faith. They were excited about what God was doing among them. But more, also on, on top of that, they were excited about each other. And they were spending time together, and they were, it talks about how they were breaking bread in each other's homes, and they were sharing these meals together, and they were serving each other sacrificially, and it was just a group of people, a community that deeply cared about one another. Not kind of for some self-serving kind of reason, just because they enjoyed being together, and that they were all just found in this, in this Jesus who had died for them, and, and life was changing, and it was just good, and there was this excitement and power that was like coursing through them. I want to be a part of something like that. I want to be a part of a group of people like that 
who genuinely care about each other, not because of, not because of what, what other people can do for us, but because of what we can do for them. And I, I, I want to be a part of a group of believers like you who are committed to one another on a deep, deep God-centric kind of way, not just because we're all cool people and we like being around each other. That's just not good enough for me. Having people to be friends with just isn't good enough. Enjoying each other's company just isn't good enough. I want this. I want God-centric kind of time together. I want that kind of community. So I keep, I keep using the word uh, community or, or biblical community. And I, um, I want you to understand what that word means. But it's not very easy to explain. When you boil it down, the, the, the word that comes down um, in the original language, I was in seminary, they had to like, teach me these original language stuff. New Testament's written in Greek, and in Greek, the word for this is koinonia. Say koinonia. Koinonia is a word that we don't have a good word to translate it into. Like there's, there's not like a carryover. We don't have a direct translation for koinonia. It's just this word we have to do our best to figure out how to, how to put it in English, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it's pivotal because I want to be in koinonia. I, I really do. And I think you do too. You just don't know it yet because you don't know what that word means. But it's, that's where we're going. We're going to try to figure out what koinonia means and what it means for us. Fair? All right. So um, I know this is going to be a little bit funky to try to ex- explain to you like Greek words, which I know you don't really do a lot, but I want you to imagine it this way. I want you to imagine it like, you know when you learn a new slang word at school? Maybe you, maybe you had a friend over for dinner or something, and you're like talking in your teenage vernacular, which means language, and, um, and, and you're, you're talking and hanging out, and you say something that your dad or mom does not know what that means. They're like, hey, what does that mean? Like thirsty is a new word. You people like saying thirsty now. So imagine you, you had a friend over for dinner, and uh, you're describing some person that you're not particularly fond of, um, and uh, you said that they're, just, they're always thirsty. And your dad's like, give them some water, <laughs> right? I mean, your dad thinks you're a complete idiot because you're talking bad about someone about how they're always thirsty. And you have to, you have to go into an explanation, like, well, dad, it kind of means like they're always uh, like chasing... Um, people around, or they're always like chasing this, this girl, this guy around, and it's, it's kind of like they, it's kind of like a pathetic kind of thing, but not like super bad about it, it but you know, it, it's hard to explain. If I just ask, tell me, just tell me what thirsty means, you have a hard time doing that, right? It basically means pathetically desirous of somebody, right? But for you to think of pathetically desirous would take you like an hour, like it took me. And, but that's, that's what it means. But for you to communicate that to your dad when you, when you say it at the dinner table, it's hard. But the, the more you hear it at school or on Twitter, um, thirsty for followers, whatever, um, when you, the more you hear that, the, the more you kind of understand the parameters of what it means. Does that make sense? Like the more you hear it used, the, the deeper the understanding of what that slang word means. So the more you hear whatever it is, you understand that that, that this stuff isn't kind of included, but all this stuff is, and you can use it more appropriately without sounding like an idiot, right? I want you to be able to use koinonia without sounding like an idiot. <laughs> so you're going to hear it a lot, okay? Get your sheet out. This is every instance of koinonia in the New Testament, all of them. I highlighted the little word, the little word highlighted on your sheet, front and back. There's a lot of them. That's the way that they tried to translate koinonia, and you see a whole bunch of different words on there, right? You see like fellowship and contribution and participation and partnership, all these different words. 
So we're going to look at the way these are used so you can understand your new slang word so you can go to school tomorrow and be like, koinonia, yo, and it'll be great, okay? I'm going to be a part of a koinonia. Great. All right, here we go. So the first one I want you to look at is the third one down. I didn't put them in order. They're in, they're in book order. So the first one down is 1 Corinthians 1.9. It says, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That word in fellowship, that's koinonia. So that what it says is God is faithful by whom you are called into this koinonia relationship with his son. So the relationship, listen to me, the relationship that, quit reading your sheet. I know it's interesting. The relationship that you're called into with Jesus Christ is koinonia. This partnership, this, this commitment, this identification, this in, indwelling and entwining is koinonia. You have a koinonia between you and, if you're a Christian in the room, there's this relationship between you and Jesus, this, this bi-directional intertwining kind of like oneness thing, right? Where it's not just that, that Jesus uh, forgives you of your sin and saves you and then just leaves you alone for the rest of the life. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to have an ongoing relationship, a close-knit relationship where, where you and God are going back and forth together. And there's, there's a partnership there where he's pouring into you and acting on your behalf and, and loving you and, and taking care of you. And you're doing your best to love God back. And it's this, this beautiful, perfect relationship. Look at the next one. The next one down. It says, uh, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 6, 16. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is, is, is it, this is talking about the Lord's Supper. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? It's talking about the way that, that when we take the Lord's Supper, that we're identifying ourselves as ones who are, are, are one with Jesus. That there's this close-knit, like, we're a part of it. We're found in Christ. That's koinonia. It's, an, it's, a, it's a deep, crazy, beautiful, selfless, loving relationship. You got it? Let's do another one. Go down, fourth from the bottom, the 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The koinonia of the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. There's not a closer relationship than that. Guiding and directing and speaking truth and convicting has a huge part of who you are. That's koinonia. The next one. This is where it starts getting weird. Because describing your relationship with God with a word is, is, is one thing, and that's significant. You have a new word to describe your relationship with God. But here, in this one, this is where... God's word starts doing something crazy, all right? It's third from the bottom, 1 John 1, 3. Look at this. Yeah, sorry, back, back page, short page, 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have koinonia with us. This is people. Having koinonia with people. And indeed, your koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in one verse, you have the same word used to describe your relationship with God and the closeness that's supposed to be there, and also describing your relationship with other believers. Did you hear that? Did you just hear what I said? The Bible uses the same word to describe the relationship, the intertwining, the oneness that you're supposed to have with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. You're supposed to have that same kind of relationship with other believers. 
Is that, do you, do you, are you feeling the, the significance, how freaky weird that is? Because you understand the, the personal nature and the depth of a relationship that you're, you, you're called into with God, right? You get how impactful and how crazy and huge that is. And then that verse has koinonia in relation to other believers. That blows my mind, dude. Like, when I was preparing for this and I was, I was thinking about what it is to what biblical community really is, and I figure out that God's word puts the relationship that I'm supposed to have with other believers up against the relationship I'm supposed to have with God. There's supposed to be this closeness and this oneness that's almost, that's comparable to my relationship with Jesus. That I'm supposed to love other believers the same way that, that God loves me. That's intense, dude. That's not like, hey, I want to hang out and you're fun and pretty. That's, that's not it. Look at the last one, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia with one another. Well, that says, if we walk in the light, if we're living in our relationship with Jesus and we're living out our faith and we're trying to be the people of God as who he called us to be, we have koinonia with other believers. If I'm doing, that's what that says, what that verse says is, if I'm doing what I'm called to do as a Christian, if I'm following after Jesus, I'm, I'm automatically going to be in this same crazy deep oneness, connectedness relationship with other Christians. Do you have that? I don't think you do. I don't think you do. Go to the first one, Acts 2. This is why we're talking about this, because we, we, Acts 2, 42 through 47, that's who I want us to be. The very first thing it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's God's word, and to koinonia. These people loved each other deeply. They, were, they loved each other and accepted each other and were in each other's lives in this incredibly profound way. I want that for you. I want that for you. That's what God has intended for us to have. That's the, that's, the, that's the ideal. That's what God planned for you. God didn't plan for you to have to play this game that you played earlier every day when you walk into a school. That's not what God intended for you to do. That's not the kind of relationship God made you for. That's horrible. When you have to walk into a group and you have to wrestle your way in and shove someone else out just so you can maintain some acceptance. That is not what God made you for. I don't know what Greek word that is, but it ain't koinonia, and it's not worth it. Just as we're connected with Christ, we're also connected to other believers. So the connection I have with Jesus is in some way got to be translated into a similar connection I have to other believers. So therefore... I should love other believers the same way that Christ loves me. So how does Christ love, love me or you or any of us? How does, how does he do that? Does Jesus love me based on how, how, uh, how rip I get in the gym? If I get like super, dude, if I get like super banged out, I mean, is God going to love me more? If I can rock the, the, the coolest polo or whatever, I don't, I don't even care anymore. I, I wear greenhouse shirts. I mean, if I've got the coolest shoes or whatever, does God love me more? If I'm good at a sport, does God love me more? If I, if I can step up that popularity ladder one more rung, is God going to be impressed with that? Is he going like, to want to spend more time with me because I'm a little bit more popular now? 
If I get a super hot girlfriend, is God going to be impressed with that? He's like, dude, I got to hang out with that guy more. His girlfriend is smoking. If I get a, if I get, dude, if, if I get your dad's 302, if I get a boss 302 and I can do burnouts for years out in the parking lot, is, is God going to be impressed with that? But your friends are. If I can act all bad, if I walk into school, I'm like, what's up, man? And I can act all bad, and I can use language that a certain group of friends, a certain group of people uses, and they accept me for that. Is God going to accept me more because of that? Is that the way God loves me? No, because, if, <laughs> because God loved me before I was born. God loves me despite what I do. God loves me in spite of my sin and comes and gets in the mess with me and offered me forgiveness and redemption and a new life despite all of my failures. That's the way God loves me. That's the way he loves you. He offered me salvation for eternity, not because of me, but just because of him, because he loved me and he gave himself for me. I didn't do anything. That's koinonia. So if God loves me like that, how does that translate into other people? Why do you value people? Why do you want to hang out with someone? You know, there's always the one guy, right? There's like, you got your little friend group. I know you do. You got your friend group. You're sitting with them or something. And, and there's always that one kid, right, who he's okay if he hangs out with your group, but you're, he's never the one. She's never the one that you want to hang out with one-on-one on the weekend. If he shows up, cool, whatever. But he's never the one because, you know, he's, he's just not, a, he's not funny. He's not funny. Or she, she's just not as cute as us, right? She's not as cute as us. Psh, come on, right? Dude, come on. So she's not, the, she's not the one you want to hang out with one-on-one, but if she's in the group, it's okay. It's not going to, like, bring down the, the pretty level too far, so it's okay. But, you know, she can, she can kind of she can hang, but not one-on-one. Listen to this quote from this book I've been reading. This guy's named Bonhoeffer. He's got to be smart, right? Listen. The exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community, koinonia, may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. What? The exclusion of the weak and the insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. What that means, students, is that if this is our Christian community and we're going to try to figure out how to be koinonia together and for each other, the exclusion of the weak and the downtrodden and the not as popular and the not as pretty and the not as talented may mean that we are excluding the very purpose of who we are. I don't think Christ honors relationships like that. I don't think Christ honors um, friendships like that, where we're evaluating people on levels that God doesn't evaluate us. We're holding people to standards that God doesn't hold us to. So we're accepting the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus as a people of God, as those who are forgiven and found in him. We're accepting this grace, but we don't extend it. We're, we're willing to accept his acceptance but not extend it. I don't accept you. I'm going to box you out. I'm going to lock in with my six people or whatever, and you can go do it. I don't care what you do because I got my six. Do you understand how self-serving that is? I'm not beating up on you, man, because I was there, and the reason I can speak like that is because I lived in it. So we got two, we got two options. We can live self, selfishly or selflessly. So selfishly, you walk into school and there's people that evaluate you and that you evaluate people. And you try to find a certain number of people that, that will accept you. 
and you're willing to accept them, and you lock in, and everybody else can deal with it. You're creating relationships for you. It's for your benefit, isn't it? Just to honestly evaluate why you have these, the, people, the people around you that you do. Why do you have those relationships? Is it because you truly care about them and you're wanting to extend the same love that God extends to you into their lives? Or are you just wanting to be accepted? Are you wanting to be viewed a certain way? Are you wanting to seem more popular? Are you wanting to just be with this certain crowd because they just seem fun? Are you attaching yourself to people for your own benefit? If so, that's, that ain't koinonia. That ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. And our other option, our other option, is to just stop. And I recognize the, the monstrous task I'm offering to you. I understand that, that I'm offering you an alternative to your entire way of life right now, but I need you to hear that, dude, you're in high school, and in like 30 seconds in light of eternity, you're going to be out of high school, and none of that matters anymore. And there's this incredibly like freeing thing that happens, and you're Adults are like, dude, high school was dumb. So you chase after these awful, unhealthy, ungodly, non-biblical, Jesus-hating relationships for a couple of years. And then you walk off and you never see these people again. And I know that when I say, man, that you have an alternative, that you can love people the way that Christ loves you, that that would mess up your entire whole like, high school existence a little bit. And I'm okay with that because I've made it out of high school. And now I have relationships like that. I have koinonia. And I can tell you that I would have given up every, every relationship I had in high school just for one or two of that. I do not want our student ministry here at Mount Zion to be a bunch of people who come together because it's um, uh, just it's fun to be around some people and I want to be a part of this greenhouse crowd or something and maybe I can find a group of friends here. I want you to find friends here. I really do. But if that's all it is, if it's just self-serving, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in developing what those folks in Acts 2 had. I'm interested in developing koinonia. I want to see us as a, as a, as a body of believers here at, at Mount Zion Student Ministry. I want to see us extending the same grace that God extends to, to me to each other. I want to see us stop Stop approaching other people as a, as a means to an end where, where, hey, I want to be friends with you so that you can make me a little bit more popular. I want to be friends with you so that I can feel accepted and I can sleep at night because I have a friend now because I have somebody to text on Fridays. I don't want that for us. That's not good enough for me. And if that's all we are, dude, that ain't worth it. What, we, what I feel like we do so many times is God has... God has given us this beautiful, perfect reality that we can live in because I've got some relationships in my life that I think match up pretty good with this. We have this beautiful, perfect thing that God offers us, and instead of taking hold of it, we chase after an imitation, a lie. Were any of you among those people who got crazy awesome at Guitar Hero? Raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah, I know, it's shameful. You can put your hand down. Here's what I think about Guitar Hero. Listen to me. I've known people who can play every song on Guitar Hero, like on full export, ex, export, like expert extreme, like, like Jedi warrior level or something. I don't know. 
right? I've never played Guitar Hero in my life, but I've watched a lot of hours of idiots playing Guitar Hero, so I can speak truth to it. So you're sitting there, right? And you devote 10 trillion hours, approximately, to being able to play every song on Guitar Hero perfectly, right? You've got your, you got your like, how much is a Guitar Hero guitar? Like 30 bucks? Whatever. You got this stupid guitar, right? It has four, button, four buttons, five buttons, good, because that's what matters, right? And this flappy dude thing right here, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, flappy dude. You got flappy dude, and you got your fingers, and you push some buttons, and you do this a lot, right? If you get good enough, right, you can do moves. You can be like, and and the the things are scrolling, and they're scrolling, and they're scrolling, and you got the other kid next to you who thinks he's almost as good as you, so he's going to give you a run for your money, and you're like, he's over here, and he's like, and, and you're super pumped about it, and these people get like sweaty, right? They're disgusting. They stink. Everything stinks. Do not touch someone else's Guitar Hero guitar. It's awful. Don't touch it. It's gross. It's slimy. It smells weird. It's disgusting because there's a bunch of sweaty, nasty people all over the place, right? What I want to do is walk in front of the, the TV, right, and then punch a hole in it, and then have a real guitar, and then hand it to them, and then walk away. Slowly, right? Smash the plastic piece of junk, hand them a real guitar, and you see what happens. Because if you have 10 trillion hours to learn how to play a stupid plastic thing in a video game, that's not a real skill, bro. Like, there ain't a professional level of that. Like, maybe there is. If there is, that's sad. Of course there is. Right. There's a bunch of sweating, disgusting people somewhere that you don't want to hang out with that are super pro at this. You do not want to be with them. Anyway, so you've got to, you, you have this real thing that you trade in for an imitation. And you devote everything you have to being awesome at the imitation when you could have been incredible at the real thing. Do we do that with our relationships? Are we chasing after these lies, this fake thing that... that has nothing to do with God's ideal? Do we chase after these fake, selfish, horrible, terrible little relationships just like your game where it's, dude, I got 14 people here. You people are stupid. (laughs) Until you're the stupid one who gets boxed out. You've got to chase after these terrible little relationships all the while while God is offering you something better. Just in your head, I just want you to think for just a second. Just think. Think about all of the relationships you have, the people that are closest to you, excluding your family. Think about your friendships. Why don't you shut your eyes? Shut your eyes and think about your friendships. Like, look at their faces in your head. Which of those are koinonia? And which of them are not? Which of those are koinonia? How many you got? Because when I was 17, I had one. Maybe. It was shaky. Open your eyes. Are you chasing an imitation? Are you devoting all this time and energy and hurt and sweat and pain into an imitation? Because God offered you something real. God offered you koinonia. What about this place? Have you experienced koinonia here? 
I hope you have. But, but if you haven't, I, I don't want you to think immediately, man, somebody should have, somebody should have been that for me at, at Mount Zion. Somebody in Mount Zion's student ministry should have been engaging me in that kind of relationship. That's not, the, that's not the application here. The application here is, man, I didn't do anything to get God to love me. He just chose to do it. So if we, are, as a people, are going to be koinonia for each other in here, then that doesn't start with someone else doing that for you. That starts with you doing that for someone. You do that first. No one does that first to you. In order for us to be koinonia, you have to do that as individuals. You, sitting there, right there, you look, looking at me. You have to start loving people like that. Not selfishly, not so you can get something out of it, but because you choose to. You can pick them at random for I care. I don't care. You, you start taking the way that God loves you and you apply that to someone else's life. You serve as hard as, hard as you can serve. You love despite how crazy and weird they are. You spend time with them because you want to. Not expecting anything out of that. Then we'll see where we get to. I don't, I don't have a lot of, like, fancy steps or whatever. I, I, can't, I can't, like, tell you exactly how to do this. I can't tell you how to abandon this terrible way of high school life and start becoming Acts 2 here at Mount Zion. I can't tell you a, a, a cool little plan for that. But what I can tell you is I, I know where it starts. I know it starts with praying for your friends. And that may sound, that may sound like, trite to you, I really can't think of anything more significant that I can do for a friend of mine to, to demonstrate the love of God towards them than lift them up to God. And if I'm not willing to pray for my friends, I don't know if I'm willing to do anything else either. That feels like baseline to me. So I, here, here's what I want us to do. I don't know after that, dude. I don't know what you do tomorrow. I don't know how you, you progress from here, but I I, j- I would just suggest that however you feel like God's loving you, that you should do that to other people. But we're going to start with praying for our friends. It's a starting point. This isn't the end point. And I can't make you pray for your friends regularly. I, I want you to be praying for your friends throughout the day. When you're sitting next to somebody in class, I want you praying for them. I can't make you do that. But I can give you an opportunity right here where you won't forget. So that's what we're going to do. So here's what we're about to do. You're going to spend a couple of minutes um, praying for your friends. I don't care if you pray for one friend for the entire time I give you. I don't care if you pray for 26 friends. Whatever. I don't care. Whatever makes you happy. But I just want you to lift them up to God. That's the most selfless thing you can do in prayer. You can't get anything back out of that. So you're going to sit there on your own, and you're going to pray for your friends. Whatever you feel led to pray. Now listen to me. If you're not a believer in the room, um, that's okay. Uh, and if the idea of praying to somebody, that, a guy that you don't know, is weird, then that, that is weird. Um, so if you're not a believer in the here, man, I, I just want you to just sit there and, and just <laughs> reflect on the idea of this thing. That there's a God that, of this Bible who most of us in this room have trusted to forgive us of our sin. I just want you to reflect on that and think about that a little bit. So as everybody else in the room is praying, if you're not a believer, I just want you to think about if this thing could possibly be real for you. That's what your job is. I'm going to give you, wow, we're really late. I'm going to give you like two minutes just to pray. It's going to be silent and awkward. It's going to be awesome. All right? You pray. I'll close this.
Father, for some of us, that might be the longest we ever prayed. Um, and I, I can't think of much more significant work we can do when we're talking with you than to lift up the names of our friends uh, and their burdens and their struggles to bring those before you. God, it's an, it's an incredible thing that you've called us into relationship with other people in a way that mirrors our relationship with you, and that, that feels very vulnerable to me. Um, that feels much, much, much deeper than I'm necessarily comfortable with. I'm sure there's a lot of people in the room that feel the same way. So God, if, if, God we just ask that you would help us to be koinonia uh, in this place. The student ministry of Mount Zion would be more than um, some friend circles. God, I pray that you would remove from our relationships with our believers, you'd remove our selfishness from those relationships, and you'd make yourself present there. Our friendships wouldn't just be that, but they would be opportunities for us to encourage and to lift up and challenge and support other believers. Help us to be more than what we are. Sir Sons, I pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, I know you got to go, but if you ordered a greenhouse t-shirt, they're in the Chapel Commons. If you didn't and you want one, there's some extras. Go get one. See you later.